My brother was an intern at the company, and he said this thing to me. He said, I think sometimes you want things a certain way, but you try and message it as if the person has freedom to go explore. But really, you know what you want. And sometimes you just tell people what you want because it would make everything a lot easier and people would feel more comfortable coming to you with things. And I cried in front of the entire company. It was so true, but it was this moment where people could see me, like who I really am. Company building is rocky. And it's often shitty. (laughs) There's no way of buttering that up. Joe Albanese, the founder and CEO of STIR, is in the trenches of that creative process right now. STIR has raised over $20 million, and Joe was listed in Forbes 30 Under 30. And if that's not enough pressure, Joe is not only a first-time CEO, but this is his first time managing a team at all. I know what that's like because it's my first time too. I sat down and talked with Joe about building Stir, and we hit on everything from his opinions on hard work to how creators will create in the future to face planting in front of your team. I'm Jack Conti, co-founder and CEO of Patreon, and this is the Creator Economy Podcast with Stir CEO Joe Albanese. Joe! Welcome to the Creator Economy Podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Finally meeting in person. It's a big step. All right. (laughs) So, okay, let's start. um, One quick disclaimer. As a believer in the creator economy, I do invest in companies in this space. Stir is one such business. The first thing I asked Joe when we sat down in the studio in San Francisco was, where did the idea for Stir come from and why? The idea for STIR was really spawned from a research session I did at Facebook, which was with the admin of a Facebook group called Moms in the Bay Area. And one question I asked was, how much of your time during the week do you spend on this group? And she's like, what do you mean? Like, this is my job. Like, this is how I provide for my family. And she's like, I pay my mods through Venmo. I run these local brand deals with mom and pop shops. I have a Patreon that if you subscribe, I give you access to a private Facebook group. And like I track my business in the notes app of my iPhone. It was mind blowing in the sense of just like if you can create a community around your knowledge, your, your art, your, anything you put into the world and you bring people together, like a way to provide for yourself and your family can be built around that. And just the tooling was not there. And then second to that was, well, if, if you feel so strongly that that is now like the future of how a business could be, well, then how do we change our norms and the way we interact and we work together in in the digital one? What is STIR? Um, What is the product? What is the vision? What is it? Yeah. So we're a platform that lets you run your business on top of it. You add your bank account. We show you all the ways that you're making money and what's going well, what's not. You don't have to connect anything. It just works. We also make it easy to play well with others. And the way that we do that is through payments. So you can pay your editor for the work they did on a video or what we prefer and what we're really bullish on is you can actually share the upside in any way that you make money on the internet. So you can split the AdSense on a single YouTube video. You can split the profit on a shirt in a Shopify store. 
and everyone gets paid at the same exact time and it's shared upside where there's like, I don't pay you a certain amount. We get paid for how much we put in, how far we push it. It's a new model for working with others because not everyone can afford to quit their job and, you know, record the vlog every day for 300 days. Some people want to monetize their creativity, but in a way that is de-risked and also shared. It's sharing the like reach with other people without like, starting the Shopify store together or starting the YouTube channel together. And with the approach to coming up with that particular solution, and I guess this gets into the larger question around product building, how did you arrive at the splits problem from a focus perspective and then at this particular solution? Why, in the subset of problems that creators are facing, how did you rank that as the one where Stir needed to start? I am most passionate about connecting people. And collab culture is just massive in creativity. Working with others, building together, creating together, and seeing what magic comes out of that. And feeling like almost taking a bet that that is the future. That's my opinion on what the future can be. But it won't get done if I don't help put it into the world. Because I don't think anyone really else is like incentivized to go do it. And uh, that's how I wanted to contribute. So I think like, because of that, it stacked up pretty high in the problems that I wanted to go solve. Um, I don't think we've gotten it fully right, frankly. Collaboration is not always financial. It can be a transaction of, like, growth. Like, you know, that is a big part. Like, if I just get exposure by working with you, like, it's going to help me introduce me to a new audience, which is, like, a big reason why people collaborate. Or sometimes it's just fun. And... That should be celebrated. And I don't think it always needs to be financial. What I love about Joe's answer to this question is that he started with an opinion about how the world ought to be better at facilitating multiplayer creativity. Different companies have different ways of building and approaching strategy. The approach that I like and the approach that we've taken at Patreon is that strategy starts with an opinion about how the world should be. Strategy isn't a suite of metrics or KPIs in priority order, and it's not even the filter you use to rank or prioritize user problems. For me, those things just become clear when you have an opinion about how the world should be versus how the world is. And for me, that opinion was really simple. I believe that creative people are some of the most valuable people on this planet. I believe that art is critical to society and to the world. And I believe it's crazy for someone who's reaching a million people, that's 10 football stadiums full of people with their work, to get paid a $300 split of ad revenue. I believe that system is crazy. And in 2013, when Patreon launched, not everyone agreed with that opinion. And even people who did, didn't necessarily prioritize it. But what makes Patreon different is that opinion. Our KPIs and the way we prioritize feedback, the way we rank problem statements, all that stems from our opinion about the world. So now, how, how many employees is there? We are 10 full-time total. And is this like the the biggest team you've been leading? Oh, 100%. I mean, before Stir, I, the only thing I'd manage was an intern. <laughs> so I guess, you know, from, from a creator 
to a founder, mm-hmm. first time founder to first time founder. Yeah. What has that been like just from a personal journey of like leading people? Do you like it? Is it harder than you expected? Yeah, it's it's way harder than I, 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 I it's not even harder than I expected. Like I didn't even realize everything is brand new. There are there were like unknown, unknown like lessons that I'm encountering. Like what? What's one of the face plants that's just keeps you so, awake? So for the longest time, like I just thought culture was like ping pong balls, 401ks and weekly kickoffs or something. All stuff that I don't think we needed to invest in uh, because we're just so small. Like we don't need culture. And I got that really wrong. Um, we had like a, a period where the team doubled basically within a few weeks, all great people, but just like the company just changed overnight. And I didn't have the experience to understand that things would change and there would be a natural growing pain there. But then I started to see it when I felt like morale was down and like I operate at like 35,000 feet. I'm like trying to think about the next six, 12 months who we're hiring, where our business is going and then like different product directions. So when I like come back down to the ground floor and everyone's exhausted and just like not feeling it, I have to, I had to figure out, I snapped to figure out why. So I spoke to one of our team members and someone I love working with. And he was, I've never seen him like this, almost shaken up to like how overwhelmed he was with things. And I remember I like immediately snapped to like, I have to go fix this. Stayed up through the night and put together our first culture check-in, which was like, it was a basically a workshop where we just talked about what culture was at the company and it was like very uh, collaborative and people could do it. And at the end was people could give me feedback, which is really hard for people to feel like they can give me feedback, which I don't like. We have this internal thing that we say is share a brain, which is like, tell me exactly how you feel as early as possible. And, um, you know, we're going through, everyone's kind of giving me feedback. It's all really healthy. And like, I'm very composed during it. Uh, My brother was an intern at the company over the summer and he went up. And he said this thing to me. He said, I think sometimes you want things a certain way, but you try and message it as if the person has freedom to go explore. But you're like messaging it one way, but really you know what you want. And sometimes you just tell people what you want because it would make everything a lot easier and people would feel more comfortable coming to you with things. And I cried in front of the entire company. It really fucked with me. It was so true. It was from my brother. But it was this moment where people could see me, like who I really am. Like it wasn't like I was embarrassed by the tears at all. Um, It was more like that was so true. And I immediately just felt like I got better in that moment. And one thing I realized was I went from culture as a 401k, ping pong balls and whatever to actually know like what culture is to me is stir should be the place where people can experience the fastest rate of growth in their personal and professional life. And we create the environment that lets you go do that. And what I came to understand was that's what I want myself. And people love that and it fits really well. And it's been the biggest lesson in the last three months for me. Joe's lesson on culture is one that I think a lot of founders like me (laughs) learned the hard way. Companies are just abstract agreements to work towards something together. 
And I think of culture as the central nervous system of that agreement. When you take away the building and the products and the branding, what's left is the approach to collaboration and problem solving. It is that approach, spoken or not, that is the brain of the company, the culture. I'm in awe of Pixar's ability to make great movie after great movie. Most studios have a terrible batting average when it comes to cranking out films. But Pixar is different. And I believe it is the brain of Pixar, their approach to problem solving and collaboration, even more so than their movies, that is their superpower as a company. What do you suppose is the balance of humility versus conviction at your company? Of science versus craft? Do people have fun? Does the company prioritize visual expression over short-term gains to a metric? Does logic always win or just usually? And if it's the latter, what beats logic? A comprehensive articulation of these trade-offs is impossible to capture in medium articles or books on leadership. It can only be expressed and stored in one place, a company's culture. So speaking of things that you're changing or things where you feel like you got it wrong, one of the things I think has made Stir stand out over the last couple of years is this concept of drops. You guys have been building and doing these drops that have been really exciting. There's a lot of like excitement every time there's a drop. Twitter explodes. People mm-hmm. are pumped about it. There's more energy and enthusiasm around the company. And you're stopping drops from what I understand. Yeah. So we did our last one in January. We had done eight of them. I love them. And what I like about them so much is uh, two, two reasons. One is I actually didn't ever like the hype. What, wait, wait, so, but what was a drop? A drop was a one-off project that we would build that would solve a very unique problem or almost be an, I was like, call them like art projects. Like we did a thing called Only Tweets, which would allow anyone on, on Twitter to monetize their account through a subscription. And the way we built it, like made it be like basically almost native. We had to do like the craziest tech to, to, to get it to work. It was so fun. Uh, or we did something called pre-subscribe, which was how many creators would be full-time if they weren't afraid of quitting their job and starting at zero. Well, what if we flip that model where fans can show their support before they go independent by giving their email and how much they would do in a monthly membership. And then when that person wants to become a full-time creator, they already have that email list and they know how much people would pay. And they did two things for us. They turned the company into a creator itself, which is so important. I would say creators listen to two people, their supporters and other creators. We need to be both. We need to be fans through like the way we communicate and help them and support them. And then we need to be creators in the way that we think about building our products. So that was just like one of the lessons we learned. And then also I think it just, there were just so many low hanging fruit problems that we were able to solve. It showed like how we're builders, Um, but we stopped them. And what I realized was, well, I had, frankly, I had a hard conversation because I didn't realize it (laughs) immediately. (laughs) Um, was they were distracting us from actually solving our bigger problem that we were going after. And you can't just have these one-off projects every month, even if it feels like it takes you a weekend, like it does distract you mentally. I think externally they have all this excitement and cool like utilities, but they're so internally, they take a lot like, we was were, it the team that gave you that feedback? Did you look up one day and it realize it was the board? Yeah, it was the board of my co-founder. 
basically like we decided to pa- like I would say we pause them and we will bring them back in in a way that is like almost V2 but it was the right decision because we also had to become founders and leaders and CEOs like you can't do that when you're like hacker culture like just throwing stuff out there it's just different structure it differently and so now you're focused on the core product yeah. more so than the drops 100% yeah and so what kinds of things are you building now if you think about being a creator today it's hard to do it full time and i think that's because of two reasons one is the problem you're solving which is not everyone can live on an ad revenue diet it's just not going to happen so we need like new monetization models for creators and the second is is uh which i think the problem we're going after is i worry about the content surplus problem which is like there's just so much and like people can only take in you know enough so you need to invent new ways for people to work with one another that looks a lot different than like we're all going to start businesses together cuz like we're not going we didn't just like all become creators to go start media companies right or to like build labels or whatever they want so i think we need to like literally change the ways that people can work with one another which like is more multiplayer and network based and i think that is the problem that we're solving it's not going to be solved through some of these i'm not going to call on anyone specifically but like um I just want I'll call them out. Yeah. Like Facebook's building for creators now. Yeah. YouTube's building for creators. Yeah. Twitter just released super follows. Yeah. How are you thinking about that? Does that worry you? They have distribution. They have billions of users, hundreds of millions of creators using their products regularly. Yeah. How is a small startup gonna be David against the Goliath? It's actually good that they are doing this. Because one thing that is, is, is absolutely necessary is we need a behavior shift on the consumer side where, oh, yeah, I want to support this creator. Like, I want to get their content every month. And they're not used to being free. Like, this is actually a big behavior shift that we have to do. We have to go from, like, everything is supported by ads to actually I will support people. And having that happen on the big platforms is a way we change that behavior at scale. We need that, frankly. Two is, is like, I think it's out of their DNA. Me too. Maybe they can change it, some of them, but like the fact of the matter is, is just look at the numbers. They're like literally money mints, like on ad revenue and how they prioritize their time and their resources is going to be interesting to me. Um, And creators will always, it's their business, right? Like, like distribution matters. Yes. But like, frankly, like they can't risk their, like everything they run their, their business on top of, and they're going to go to the platforms that are fully dedicated to them. So I actually really want to get into hard work for a second. Cool. This is something I struggle with because I work really hard. I work seven days a week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm sure. Yeah. Um, to like bring a company into the world. I mean, I, I, maybe other people can do it without working like that. Like one of the reasons that I was excited about you and I wanted to invest in Stir, I was like, oh my God, this guy's gonna just work until it works my family is a big reason why i work really hard um because i have um 
I think it's, it's formed from my grandparents. So my grandpa, Mo, he passed away from COVID in April of 2020, was a butcher in New York, Mo the Butcher. A little small butcher shop it was. That's the way the business started. And like worked six days a week until he was 93 years old. This is the shopping of the night. Like crazy. And it's a store on Elizabeth Street in Nolita. On this one block, there were six butcher stores. None of these boutiques was all food. It's still there today. My cousin Jen runs the shop. It's Albanese Meat and Poultry. We had live chickens here, live rabbits, live turkeys. You had to skin them. Oh, it was hot. I mean, it's not the way it is now. Today, the meat comes in in boxes. You don't have to do anything. <laughs> it's crazy. But that's, what it, that's the way it was. And then my grandpa Joe on my mom's side, who I'm named after, still works six days a week to this day, and he's 89. But basically, I bring those two guys up because they worked really, really hard. Um, and their job, in a lot of ways, was a part of their identity. But they never brought it home in the sense of, like, my job doesn't make me who I am. The reason I work so hard and the reason why my job is part of my identity is because I want to provide for my family. So that is deeply baked into my, who, just like how I was raised. And um, it's a big motivator why I work hard with Stir. It's not the only one, but it is a big one. And I just believe that. I believe in hard work as a value, you know? Mm-hmm. And where that's been difficult for me, and I'm curious to hear how you're approaching that at STIR, is that when you're working with a team, people have lives and families. And I guess the, que- the question is, how do you approach that and, and the gap between your personal value or not and a cultural value at the company? How are you wrestling with that right now? You actually want um, people that do have lives outside of the company. Hard work is been something that it's crazy how I'll, I'll look outside of some weekend like wow I did not realize that I could push myself that hard it's been eye-opening for me to like see that perspective I've had other jobs before and I've always worked really hard but this is like on some other level of, of and I think the motivation doesn't give, give me an example like when I mean I mean I'll just be totally honest with you like I, I do probably two all-nighters a week I take off Saturday like sometimes and that is just to give myself a mental break and usually most of the time it's catching up on sleep and are you worried about that expectation that it's setting with the team or or do you feel like that's a positive expectation no i don't think it's positive i and i never ask anyone to pull all-nighters before ever Um, i wouldn't ask anyone to do that like what are some of the things that you're doing right now between midnight and 6 a.m a lot of it is on the product side and um I know it's going to be crazy to hear me say this, but like it's actually like my favorite times because I spent my first you know, decade of my career as a designer. I'm good at it. I love doing it. And it's almost one of the ways that I can communicate. It's like it's how I can explain a concept instead of like a boring doc. My management style is is not to tell you when and how long to work, but more so set a high bar and put amazing people around you that it just comes out naturally. 
and also give you the tools in your toolkit to be able to do higher leverage work. So that is kind of the culture that I've that I'm building. So let's dig into deadlines and timelines. Because yeah. I think, especially in tech and with product design, sometimes there are external factors and there's a lot of company coordination and you have to like do a certain thing by a certain date and you have to ship something by a date. A lot of the times we found if there's not external factors, it's actually not the right thing to, to manage toward a date as opposed to an outcome or a goal. How have you approached dates and deadlines at STIR? I mean, I'm sure with drops, that was a certain type of thing. When do you use timelines? When do you not? Uh, All the time. I'm a big deadline guy. I don't always get them right because my my way of working is I pick an arbitrary date that feels short and then I usually carve a week off of it. (laughs) Um, Every time you do something, there are all of these constraints that I think produce like better to find more well-scoped work and they help filter out the things that don't actually matter that you think matter and when you have more time you put all this time energy attention to them like turns out they didn't really matter that much and then speed and just rate of learning are so important for, for a startup and one of the ways you can hold yourself accountable to those is just we do this on this date we don't push deadlines Sometimes what's tough is it's not usually like that we couldn't get the work done. It's that we just have so many things going on where we just don't have enough people to meet the deadline. And and there has to be more science around why the date is a certain date. You don't want to make it totally arbitrary. We've gotten better at that. But I'm a big deadline type of person. Where is it going? What do you see happening over the next 10 years, 20 years? Where is the space going? I think the the big ones in my mind are membership becoming a norm. That is a big one. Like I'm we, betting my life on it. <laughs> I know. I know. And now now a lot of other companies are betting the farm on it too. So you like I think you'll get proven right. Um that's one. Two is what's happening in crypto, which is ownership first with like it's bringing back scarcity and uh and 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 trust and the ability to verify something and then i think it's related to what you're doing what i'm doing we need to rebuild a lot of the like infrastructure from scratch and rethink it all so it's like what is a 401k or health insurance look like for a full-time creator what is the newsroom look like for a bunch of writers and I talked to some of my friends that are Substackers, and they're like, what do you miss most? They're making money on Substack. And they're like, just the newsroom, just like hanging out and being able to share stuff with other people and collaborate. Like now I'm my own person. It's so siloed. And yes, I own my destiny. I own all my writing, but I miss that organization. But I don't want to like spin up an S-corp with everyone. I think that is the third pillar that we need to go see. And are you, despite some of the difficulties, the imposter syndrome, et cetera, uh, what do you think about life as a CEO? It is both an extraordinary moment in my professional career and um, challenging in a way where 
I do feel like aspects of my personal life are just completely on hold. But I really love like putting something into the world. What would you say to other people who are in jobs that they love, but maybe have an itch to build something and are thinking about building something from scratch or raising money and, and making an idea real and, and bringing something into the world? Yeah. How, how did you think about that decision to, to try something else versus working at the dream job? The risk is always larger in your head than in, than in reality. And nine times out of 10, it's so worth it because of how you'll grow and what you'll learn. You might not get it right. Even with stir, I, we might not get it right. But do I have any for a second regret what I've done? No, because I'm, I'm learning. And I think when you have that itch, it is so worthwhile to scratch it. Uh, my dad is, is a phenomenal chef, but he's a home cook and he works in insurance. And I remember growing up just asking him, what are you doing? He's like, well, I had the opportunity to do it when I was young, but I never did. And um, I don't know, I always just hit me. Like, I don't want to say that I wanted to do that and then I never did. I think trying it is, is, is something you'll always give yourself a lot of credit for, even if you fail. I, that's a great place to end. <laughs> Thank you, Joe, for taking the time Thank and you. sharing your story and what's on your mind. Yeah, it's just so nice to be able to talk about some of these things in an environment like this and also to you, someone that has have your own version of a lot of these things. So I'm grateful for that. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Joe. Yeah. I'm so excited about Stir. I just think there's a huge opportunity to help creators run their businesses and turn their dreams into realities. I can't wait to see where they go. To find out more about the company, go to usestir.com and to follow Joe on Twitter, he's at Joseph Albanese. Please check out the rest of the Creator Economy podcast series, including interviews with Reddit co-founder Alexis Ohanian and Variance Lee Jin. Subscribe to keep up to date with new episodes as they're published and feel free to leave a review if you feel so inclined. If you have any questions or thoughts about the things that we discussed, feel free to get in touch via creatoreconomypodcast.com. We're actively recruiting the best and brightest product designers and engineers at Patreon. So if you're interested in coming out and helping us build the future of the creator economy, head over to our website for more details. Many thanks to producers Joe Smith and Dave King and the rest of the production team. I'm Jack Conti, and this is the Creator Economy Podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>